I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins with Biz New Orleans Magazine. Welcome to Biz Talks. Each week, we reach beyond the pages of Biz New Orleans Magazine to bring you in-depth conversations with members of the business community. From the names everyone knows to the ones destined to make their mark, we'll dive into the top issues, best practices, successes, and failures of every industry that calls Southeast Louisiana home. On today's podcast, we'll talk to Dr. Kathy Baumgarten, Ashner Health's Medical Director of Infection Control and Prevention, to find out how the vaccine distribution at Ashner is going so far. Dr. Baumgarten, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. So how is the process going? It's really going well. Um, here we had some experience with the Pfizer vaccine by doing some clinical trials. And so we were fortunate enough to be able to have a, you know, a couple of practice and dry runs with the vaccine during the clinical trials to prepare us for how to manage it when we actually started giving it. So we've um, been vaccinating our employees. We've been vaccinating this week, those that are over the age of 70 now. And we've done over 26,000 vaccines so far across our campuses and across our system. And we have appointments scheduled for 56,000 plus more um, people to get the vaccine in the coming weeks. So, so far so good. Things seem to be moving smoothly. We're getting a lot of um, positive feedback, having a lot of people telling us how grateful they are and how excited they are to have the opportunity to get the vaccine. It's a, it's a, it's hopeful. It's something that we've been looking forward to and we've had a really hard, um, drawn out long year, a lot of sick patients and having to see that day in and day out has been rough for our healthcare workers. To have this positive energy, to have this uh, vaccine to look forward to has really been um, a great thing to have. It's been also very uh, hopeful and a lot of our healthcare workers are seeing that and responding to that. Have you guys used just the Pfizer vaccine so far? Is that what it is? So in our hospital settings, um, we have been using the Pfizer vaccine. We also um, expect that we may get the Moderna vaccine in our pharmacy settings. Um, that's where that vaccine is being given. It's being given more in the pharmacy and the outpatient arenas. Um, as I think most people know, with the Moderna vaccine, the cold storage requirements aren't quite as strict. Um, and so it is easier to distribute among places that might not have that ability to have that uh, freezer space and those freezers that are very specialized and required for the mm -hmm. Pfizer vaccine. We have those freezers across our regions um, so that we can handle and distribute the Pfizer vaccine safely to those regional hubs. Um, but for those that don't have those, the Moderna vaccine is a, a great alternative because those freezer requirements not, are not as severe or as great. It's, it's, as an observer and consumer out here, it's confusing that there's all these different ones. And yeah. so is it, is it likely that each health system may end up using all of them? Or do, do health systems end up having a relationship that would cause them to end up using one versus the other? Or how is this going to work? Well, good question, because I don't know exactly how it will work in the future. I think it'll depend on whether the government will continue to be involved in this distribution process. I mean, I think that's one piece of it, because right now, you know, the government is really distributing the vaccine to the states and then the states distribute it to us. And our state in Louisiana has distributed it to us, knowing that we have the ability to manage the cold storage and they've made the decisions so far as to which vaccines are going to which locations. Now, what I would say is as more vaccines become available in the future, 
I don't know if the government will continue to purchase those and then distribute them to the states and then the states will make the decision. But if we think about this like we use other vaccines, let's say in comparison to the flu vaccine, um, you know, what we do is we decide and purchase which products we want to purchase. So there are many companies that make flu vaccines, for instance, and that will be the case with COVID too. We do know to meet the demand to reach herd immunity, there's going to be more companies that come to market and will need to come to market to meet that de demand. For instance, uh, Johnson & Johnson or the Janssen vaccine we know will come to mar market, Novavax, um, AstraZeneca has in other countries. So we need those different companies to meet the demand, but we'll have to see what happens with the distribution and how that's managed. Now with the flu vaccine, what we do is we look at all the options we have available to us. We look at the efficacy of the vaccines, the storage, the things that are plus and minuses, pros and cons of the vaccines, and then we purchase it and distribute and give. Um, so that might then be the case with the COVID vaccine in the future too. As we have more information about the different products, then we'll be making decisions as to what products to go with. Um, so stay tuned, we'll see how that goes and how, um, how long the government stays involved in this process um, and then go from there. I think we'll, we'll, we'll have to see it play out just like we have with a lot of things with COVID. We don't know at this point, but certainly there will be additional vaccines that come to market and um, are distributed and we'll make the best decisions that we can just like we do with any other vaccine that we have right now. It's an amazingly complicated uh, uh, project. Yes. I, I'm thinking about this in the context of this week. I mean, every, everyone's distracted right now because of the, the horrors of what happened up in DC uh, this week. Yes. But mean, meanwhile, what I think yesterday, Louisiana had its worst, worst day yet. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> That being said, everyone's very hopeful now about the vaccine, but I'm a little gray and confused about what the what the end zone is. Like, like, where where do we need to get with the vaccine, and and what are experts saying? How long is it going to take till we can maybe start thinking about the vaccine as 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 being out there enough that we can start relaxing rules and things? I, I I'm really so let, let's talk a little bit about that and I think you put it into context there's a lot going on right now um, a lot going on in our country and certainly um, yesterday very sobering to see the numbers in Louisiana of um, COVID cases of COVID deaths um, and it's something that we in healthcare see day in day out and our hospital and other hospitals across Louisiana are seeing this surge again we're seeing more cases um, yesterday, this past weekend, than we had you know, since April, March, March, April time period. And the projections are that it will continue to get worse. We're not even at the point where we've had the Christmas um, holidays really take effect. We're starting to see that, but it's not even two to four weeks. And that's when we typically see it. People get sick you know, about, five days after their exposure, but then people deteriorate and become more sick in that two to four weeks and then pass it to those um, that are around them. And so we're projecting that our hospitals are gonna continue to be full. We're opening units, we're taking care of people, we're getting, um, we're, we're getting it done, but we are at a point where we need to continue to wear masks and do the things it takes to prevent further infections. Having said that, the vaccine is that hope, and we understand that in order to get a handle on this and to order to stop people from coming into the hospital, they need to get the vaccine. 
So we're weighing the care of people that are sick now and the staffing needs there, the hospital needs, the resources we need to take care of people that are sick right now and those rates are going up and trying to balance that with preventative measures with people that need vaccines now to prevent from getting sick in the future, right? We know that in order for people not to get sick in the future, we need to reach that herd immunity. I think you hear about that. Everybody hears that um, in the news from Dr. Fauci, from the experts. And there's been variances in, in terms of what people are saying as to the percentage of people that need to either have infection or have gotten the vaccine to reach that herd immunity, right? Dr. Fauci was saying initially maybe 60%, I think now more recently is the 70 to 80% range of people that need to have protection either through immunization or through actual infection to reach that herd immunity. What that herd immunity means is that enough people are immune to the disease where it's not being readily transmitted among our population. Um, and that's the case now with other infectious diseases in the past, measles, smallpox, you know, those sort of things. Um, so we need to get there. And if we don't get there through vaccination, it means that more people are going to die, more people are going to end up in the hospital, more people are going to be ill from COVID itself. So vaccine is really the answer to that and the hope for that. Now, what we're doing is we're trying to stretch and redeploy people to say, okay, can you volunteer hours to give the vaccine? Can you dedicate some time to give the vaccine? Um, but we are trying to balance that with taking care of people that are ill in the hospital too. Um, but we're committed to that and we're committed to giving more vaccine. And um, you know, we have enough vaccine and we have to just continue to get it. Now, as to when that will happen, I think it will depend on the success of us being able to give the vaccine, to distribute it, and then most importantly for people to take it. You know, I, I don't know what you're hearing, but um, we have a lot of positive, positive movement in our healthcare um, workers and patients that really, really want it, but we have to continue to have that momentum. And if people don't actually get the vaccine or take the vaccine, we won't get there. Now, the other piece of this is, the vaccine is, is good. We know the ones we have available are very good at, at preventing disease. Um, we're still not sure about um, whether people can still carry the virus even though they've had the vaccine and maybe be asymptomatic, right? The studies didn't look at that yet. Right. Hopefully we'll have some more information about that. But that's why we continue to wear the masks, to wash our hands, to do the social distancing because we don't have all the answers and we don't know how long the vaccine will last. It's looking good. Um, and then the other piece of this is the virus itself. Is it going to change? Is it going to mutate? We already are hearing about different strains in the UK. We're hearing about strains in South Africa. The virus looks like um, the vaccine will still work for those viruses, but those things continue to play a role. So we'll have to see how that goes as well. Long story short, we're hoping we, our institution, would love to get by midsummer, early fall, most people vaccinated that want, want it and hope to get to something that's more of what we consider, you know, normal um, living and a little bit of, um, you know, sigh of relief that people are protected at least from serious disease. Um, so that's kind of our goal and um, we would like to be a part of helping with that. Um, and we're certainly very committed to giving as many vaccines as quickly as possible. 
So, I mean, that, that's encouraging. You say summer, maybe summer, maybe fall, we get to... Uh, I, I think fall is probably a better <laughs> estimate of that. I'm hopeful for the fall, let me say. But we would love to see late summer. Because uh, do, do you know do you know numbers statewide by any chance? I mean, you know what you guys have, uh, have already done, but is anyone keeping track of how, how much has been distributed across the state at this point? Yes, there are people keeping track of that. I should have had that number available, um, but there are numbers and there's actually a good website. Um, the CDC has a good website with the vaccine tracker and it does show the information for each state as to how many vaccines are being distributed, how many are being given. And in Louisiana, we actually have a really good um, vaccine tracking program. We've had it in place for quite some time. Um, it's one of those things that Louisiana has done well. Um, actually, even before COVID, we had what we call a link system, L-I-N-K-S, and it's basically tracks um, vaccines that um, children are given from the time of birth on, and it's a statewide database with vaccines in it, and we're using that system um, to keep track of the vaccines and then also reporting to the CDC the vaccines that we're giving. Um, so we know that um, we will have adequate vaccine. We need to keep up with um, you know, giving it. And our state is doing okay with that, but certainly we'd like to improve um, and be able to vaccinate more people. Well, that's encouraging that we have a system that's good. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's, it's great. I mean, I've always been proud of that, um, being from Louisiana, that we do have that system in place that actually was in place far before this and before many states had any sort of vaccine database in place. So um, Louisiana has been very good about vaccinating in general um, over the years. Um, credit to our Louisiana Department of um, Health that they've really been proactive and we've had um, good uptake on vaccines in general in Louisiana, which has been a great thing. Well, maybe that'll help us as we're trying to get through this. Uh, I hope so. But so the math, I mean, I can't, I don't remember exactly how many Louisianans there are. Is it like somewhere between four and six million or something? But so we need to have, in theory, by halfway through this year, uh, several million vaccines distributed. Is that essentially the goal? Yes. And then, you know, we've kind of looked at it. And if Louisiana can vaccinate about 25,000 people a day, which is a lofty goal, then by midsummer, we would be at herd immunity. I got um, it. So you yeah. break down that year goal. We've broken down, down it, right, right. Like, but and, and but we're we're not there yet. We're trying to get there, but we and when we're we're working towards that, but that's about where we need to be if we want to try to get herd immunity towards midsummer, early fall. That's amazing. Yeah, just it's like it's like uh, <laughs> any big project, you have to break it down into all the things day by day to get right. done. But, and, and, and I'm wondering, you talked about maybe a potential transition from the government uh, distributing the vaccines to it, it kind of moving back to the typical model, but it seems like probably this year that's not going to happen. It seems like the government's going to stay involved, right? I, I would think so. I mean, we haven't heard anything about um, it moving away from a government distribution. That is simply my prediction in terms of how vaccines usually work, um, because that's what I do day in, day out. Um, and that's what we typically do in the healthcare system, you know, when we're talking about giving flu vaccine, for instance, or hepatitis B vaccine. Um, and that's typically how it works. So I, I see that it moving to that in the future, but in the near future, like you're saying, I think the government will be involved um, for the foreseeable future.
it sounds like until herd immunity or at the very least. Mm -hmm, um, I would think so. And you know, I appreciate you explaining that that the herd immunity uh, concept because it's. I, I don't think I understood until this conversation that a vaccine is the right way to get to herd immunity versus right. The, the vaccine is the right way to go. You don't want to get to herd immunity through natural infection because that means that millions more people die. You know that that's. I mean, worldwide we've had two million deaths already. How many more deaths? And, and we're nowhere near herd immunity, right? We're still at about ten percent. So, um, you know, how many more people would die if you count on herd immunity or natural infection leading you to herd immunity? You really have to have that vaccine to help that along so that more people don't die in the process. The other piece of it, as we talked about, is stressing the healthcare system. Our healthcare systems are at their max right now. Right now, you know, we want to take care of people who have cancer, who have heart attacks, who have high cholesterol, who have strokes. And right now um, we are doing that, but we are on top of that taking care of a large population of people that have serious COVID disease. And so you can imagine we have that baseline of people that need healthcare, and then we're adding to that, you know, the number of people that are currently um, needing care for COVID. And we wanna provide that care, we're providing good care um, but it, it is on top of what we already do. So it is a stress to the system and our healthcare workers are hanging in there. Um, they're persevering, but, but it's been a hard year. So we're making it work, but we wanna get back to where we're not seeing the same numbers of COVID patients or co people with COVID. It's hard, it, it, it's one of those things, um, I think I've talked about this before, you know, to see loved ones, to see um, patients to see people dying when you feel like, gosh, I, I, this this could have been something we, we hopefully could have prevented. And um, it, it's, it's really sad. I mean, you just hear it all the time. Um, just this past week, I've heard about a, a couple in their 80s, one of them in hospice, the other coming into the hospital now, the, the daughter being sick and needing to be hospitalized. So whole families being hospitalized um, and it, it's just tragic. And, and the CDC has talked about, you know, it, it's not these, um, you know, huge gatherings are a problem. We are still discouraging that, but where we're seeing it transmitted is in these smaller group settings where you're not in your immediate family, but maybe you have a few friends come over, a few other f family members come over and you let your guard down, you're eating, drinking, um, seeing people, which is what we wanna do. We're social animals. We wanna be involved. We wanna see people. But unfortunately, that's also where people are becoming exposed. And right now in Orleans, uh, the rate has doubled, where by 10% you know, are testing positive right now. So that means when you're in a setting with 10 people, you can count on one of those people having COVID and being able to transmit it. And so I think when you think about it in that sort of sense, that it puts it more into context. Um, but it's devastating for us as healthcare workers, and I'll, I'll become emotional about it because it's hard to watch people sick and you do everything you can and they still are not able to be saved. So, um, you know, that's something that we take seriously in healthcare. We go into this for a reason. And to watch that day in, day out for this whole year has been really hard. Um, that is why I'm a huge advocate for this vaccine for prevention 
and for continuing to send this message that we cannot let our guard down yet. Um, we still have to do the things we need to to keep people safe because there are families, people, loved ones in the hospital that are ill and are still dying from this. Well, we all appreciate everything you're doing. Um, are, you, are you having to convince people what do you say to someone who might be skeptical about getting it done or just indifferent to it? I mean, to the vaccine. Yeah, I mean, I guess you just said it, but I mean, what's your uh, so, approach? Well, I, I guess, you know, my fear is um, there's so much going on right now. You mentioned it, everything at the Capitol, a, a lot of um, unrest, I would say, in general. And so I think people are, um, you know, tired of COVID. And I think I, I'd love to you know, Jonathan Bell Edwards kept quote, one of my favorites that he said was, you know, we're done with COVID, but COVID's not done with us. We're done with it. We want to be over it, but we're not there yet. And so what I would say is that if we want to be done with it, people have got to get the vaccine. And the good news is, I mean, I, you know, there's been several bright points in this for me. One was finding out the data about the vaccines, you know, to find out, you know, because we, we didn't know, but when Pfizer and Moderna released their data, you know, with uh, over 40,000 patients in Pfizer trial, I think about 30,000 in Moderna's trial, and the effectiveness was 95%, that was such a huge relief to me um, because that efficacy rate gives us hope that when somebody gets the vaccine, I'm sorry, I just dropped my phone. If somebody gets the vaccine, right. they are gonna be protected. The other piece of it was the safety profile for these vaccines. Now, we know lots of people are gonna have side effects, you know, fevers, mild um, muscle aches, headaches. Um, that's common after the vaccine, arm pain, arm soreness, and especially after the second dose, because these vaccines have two doses, the, the Pfizer and Moderna products do especially younger people. Um, but these side effects are minimal and are also manageable. They go away in about 72 hours um, and it's far better than COVID. And, and hearing that efficacy data, that safety data, what a relief that was to me, a bright spot in the middle of all this. And then being able in mid-December to start giving the vaccines, that was the other point at which we felt some relief, some sense of hope, and everybody has been, I think, more open to the vaccine. At one point, we thought 40 to 50% of people were, were going to take it, meaning 60% weren't. That has shifted and improved on the latest surveys. So to see this more positive um, energy around the vaccines is also encouraging. Um, but if people don't take it, then we still will be having to continue to stretch resources, seeing people die, seeing, seeing people get sick from this illness and continuing to have um, the, the, um, the stress and the um, toll that that takes on families, on loved ones, on healthcare. You know, I, I think pretty much everybody knows somebody that's had COVID. And I would suspect most of people watching this or listening to this know of somebody that's died from COVID and has it's affected them personally. So I would keep that in mind, take that seriously and think about 
that next person that could be even closer to you that might get it or might be ill or might die from it. And it's not just dying. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that have a lot of lung damage after COVID too. Um, it, you know, there's sequelae from it that's not just um, about dying and, and it takes a long time to recover in a lot of instances. So that would be my advice to keep in mind. It, it's personal for all of us at this point. Understood. I have two more questions for you. One is, um, so who, who's next in the, in the priority list? What, like who, are, who are you going for right now to get vaccinated? So currently it's all healthcare workers. So anybody that's in the healthcare industry um, will be eligible for the vaccine. It's also those that are um, 70 and above um, hemodialysis patients and some patients in the home health setting. So those are the current um, guidances for vaccines. Now, what we do is we basically um, listen, well, not basically, we do listen to the state. The state tells us, okay, these are the groups that we've agreed can get the vaccine and this is when you can start vaccinating these additional groups. So we anticipate the next group will be those that are younger, um, ages 55 and above, that also have other health conditions that put them at risk for COVID. And that is what we anticipate will be kind of the next group that we'll start to incorporate into this. Right now, the group that's 70 above and in Louisiana, we have about 500,000 people that are 70 and above. So it is going to take some time to get that group done. As you can imagine, we have to then vaccinate that whole group. So that's 500,000 people pretty much, 475 to 500,000 that we need to get through and get vaccinated. So that might take um, a little while, but we'll get that done and then open it up to the additional groups as the state allows. And we will be doing what the state tells us we can do and the groups that the state tells us we can do. Well, in a, in a very anecdotal and not medical uh, context, I'll, I'll say one thing that strikes me as encouraging about that is that because statistically that, that older and at risk population is so much more likely to, to die from this, that even once we get to that stage, once those 500,000 vaccines have been distributed, I feel like some of the heat will be coming off of this. I mean, it's, right. you still have to get to herd immunity, but like you won't have, like my mother-in-law lives next door, you know, we're, we've been worried about this for all year and, and trying to, right. kids have the masks on around or all that stuff. I mean, if she's vaccinated, that's going to take the stress out of our household a decent amount. Right. And that takes the stress out. I would, you know, I still, you know, <laughs> don't let your guard down too much because, right, right, right. you know, um, what we know, let me just um, say also when these vaccines were studied, they were studied in um, those populations too, those over the age of 70 Pfizer did too. So we know it's effective, but we still want to be careful around people like that and just, you know, make sure we're still taking appropriate precautions. But yes, it does relieve and it, it provides some of that relief that yes, they're protected. Um, what I would say is that vulnerable populations may not respond as well to the vaccine. So the oh. vaccine wasn't necessarily studied in those that have suppressed immune systems, maybe a transplant patient or a patient that's on chemotherapy or something like that that has a suppressed immune system. So we'll know more about the effectiveness of it in those settings. So we still have to be very careful with these vulnerable populations that we're around because they may not mount as good of a response even though they've gotten the vaccine. So we still want to protect them. Thank you for saying the correct medical information after my <laughs> My mom just uh, no, but it is exciting, and and you know it does give you that sense of you know I I've had the vaccine I've had two doses now, 
And I do have um, some relief that, you know, I'm protected, but I also am wearing my mask and socially distancing and, you know, doing everything I need to to continue to keep um, others around me safe. Well, and I hope that, uh, that they're, as you're prioritizing the, the older population, that it seems logical to get that vaccine to the older family members of healthcare workers, because those people seem to be especially at risk because, you know, people who are coming in and out of Oshner Health every day on the front lines and then going home, and if they might have an elderly relative, that person seems like they need to get the vaccine sooner than, say, somebody who doesn't. Well, we, we're, we're just rolling it out in terms of trying to get people, you know, we're doing it fairly is the bottom line. We're trying to, it's just everybody over the age of 70. Um, but let me just also say something else about our health healthcare workers, because what we've seen with our healthcare workers is that just like I told you before, what the CDC has said, what we see is our healthcare workers get it in these smaller home environments or when they're going out and about. We're um, not seeing it as much when they're taking care of patients because we do have those measures. When we started out, um, of course, we were learning about the proper PPE, the proper way to take care of patients. The good news is now, even though we're having the surge, we kind of have that down. We, we know how to take care of patients properly. We have our appropriate equipment to protect us. We're not worried that we're gonna run out of it like we did in March and April. That was as the director of infection control. One of my you know reasons I didn't sleep at night is I was worried that we weren't gonna be able to protect our healthcare workers that were on the front line. And that was a big source of stress for all of us that were trying to make sure that our healthcare workers had what they needed. We know we have, we have what we need now. So, and we know how to do it, which is good. So that is um, one of the also, I think bright spots in this is that our healthcare workers are protected and we are confident that we're able to provide them with everything they need, which is good. Awesome, so I've just got a minute left. I wanna ask you the same question I've asked everybody all year doing, doing these podcasts, <laughs> which is considering everything that's going on right now and this unprecedented thing we've all been through, uh, what makes you most concerned looking ahead to next year and what gives you some hope? What makes me most concerned is that people will not get the vaccine that's available to them. That is right now my largest concern is that we won't be able to get to herd immunity because people are either unwilling or worried or scared about the vaccine. And so my reassurance and my hope is that we can continue to get that message out through you, through others, through physicians, through healthcare workers, who can speak to, I've taken the vaccine, I'm, I've done okay, I'm here to talk about it. Um, it is a good, good vaccine, it works well. The side effects are far better than the risk of getting COVID or spreading COVID to somebody you love. And that hope is that we'll continue to focus on that, to focus on the positives and get to the fall and have that herd immunity, that's my hope. And that we'll be in the Superdome with a crowd maybe in the playoffs next year, maybe the Super Bowl. That's, that's my biggest hope. <laughs> but we wanna make sure that we get there, we get to that point where we can enjoy being out with our family members, with our loved ones. We can go to games, we can go to entertainment things. The things we love about New Orleans, Mardi Gras, Jazz Fest, all those things that we miss. We wanna be back there doing those things safely. And so that's my hope for next year. Uh, thank you so much. Can we add to that hope that we also go and win the Super Bowl this year, even though no one <laughs> Yeah, let's add that one, too. We can I, add one in there, too. Yeah, yeah. Let's add that to the list. That would be amazing. Amazing. Uh, 
All right, Dr. Kathy Baumgarten, thank you so much for explaining all this to us. Sure, thanks for the time and thanks for helping us get the word out. Uh, appreciate your, you doing that for us. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Biz New Orleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com slash biztalks.